a good week for me. I had my first mess of fresh green beans, and boy, were they good. Now, do you all know what a mess is? I was asking them last night, and they just said, what's a mess? You ever heard of it? All right, okay, so I don't have to explain it. Do you know this? How do you know if you're looking at a green bean if it's going to taste good or not? You know how you do that? How they do that in the country? Well, it depends on how much it shines. Now, what has that got to do with it? Well, it's how much bacon grease you put on them. All right, that's how it works. That's right. You look at a shiny bean, oh, gosh, that's going to be good. Now, we don't think that way today, do we? But uh, if you saw my beans, you would. Well, uh, this is a very special week. This is National Religious Freedom Week. And to highlight the, the importance of this week, particularly in everything that's going on in our world today, I prepared a homily to address the Dobbs-Jackson Women's Health Organization case that is that has been before the Supreme Court. Um, I wanted there, here's a preface to this. I wanted to share this homily with you before a determination was handed down. Here's why. I don't want anybody to say, well, he's biased by the decision. So fortunately for me, I got the homily completed before the decision came down. So I've got it and I've preserved it in its original form. So when you hear me talk about when a decision's made, it's not that I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm not up on the times, but I'm just sort of repeating it for you as, um, as I had, considering that I did not know what the outcome of the decision was going to be. Now, why would you do something like that? Well, here's why I would do something like this. This is a very important issue, isn't it? We've all thought about it. We've talked about it. We've reflected upon it. Now, how do, we, how do we come to some kind of conclusion about it? That's, a big, that's the big question for me. And for my answer is this. It's a faith-based perspective. My faith is everything to me. It's my life. And when, no matter what the decision is, when it's time to, to try to understand something, I always go to the Scriptures. I always go to the Holy Scriptures because that's my authority. And then I look at the teaching of the church and how the church upholds it. <clears throat> the church and the scripture are not in conflict with each other. The church always supports and lifts up what the scriptures teach us. That's, uh, that's a very important way. So always faith-based perspective. This is not a political perspective. You know, people have tried to politicize it. This has nothing to do with politics. It really doesn't. Always go to the scriptures. And the second thing that's important as I think about this issue is how do I live out my faith? How might I live it out in uh, once the ruling is made? Well, the ruling is made, okay, so I'm living it out right now, today. But, uh, you know, I think the words of Paul seem to be very apropos to this situation. You know, he was talking about, last week he was dealing with an issue on the Lord's Supper, and I think uh, the words of Paul to the church at Galatia are very appropriate here as well. Here's what he says. This is sort of my word to you. I speak to you today as sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. There you go. That's, that's where I am. Well, let's begin with the first part of a faith-based perspective. And that is, what do the scriptures teach and the church uphold about the sanctity of human life in the womb. That's where we have to start. Well, there's several things that we could say, but I'm going to give you a few of them. 
The first thing is this, and it is that the gift of life is a first and fundamental right. It is a first and fundamental life, right. Uh, Pope Emeritus Benedict, he said it perfectly. And you'll see why when I explain it to you. He said this, life is the first good received from God and it is fundamental to life in all matters. There's sort of uh, priorities in life. The, the priority, the primary priority is life. Now, why would he say that? Well, here's why he would say it. If there's no life, you don't exist. So it really doesn't matter what comes after that, does it? You know, because you don't exist. So it really doesn't. You have to exist in order to uh, experience life. That's, that's the first thing. That's why it is a thing of primacy. It's a first and a fundamental right. The second thing is that humans are made in the image and likeness of God. I really like this one. What did God say in Genesis 1? Genesis 1 is some really powerful stuff. God said this, let us make man in our own image, in our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. You're special. <clears throat> I mean, you really are. Why? Well, because God created you in his image and likeness. That is, that's powerful. You know this, no other creature, and God created everything, no other creature, not even the angels, can claim what you can claim. They're not made in the image and likeness of God. Only you are made in the image and likeness of God. Why? Why did God do that? Because he created us for fellowship, for friendship, for relationship with him. That's why we're called the children of God, isn't it? He's the heavenly father and we are his children. Well, yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, it's, it's really interesting. If you study the creation account, you know, here's this day and God does this and at the end of the day he looks at it and he says it's good and does it the next day and the next day. And then when he gets to the creation of man, after it's over and he looks at it, what does he say? And God said that it was very good. Very good. So you're very good. You're special. I mean, you are really special. And God affirms that. You are his creation. And so God really elevates the concept of life. The third thing that I found is that life begins at the moment of conception. This is probably one of the biggest sticking points of the whole debate today, is right here. This is, this is the focus, see? Uh, here's, in the teaching of the scriptures in the church, here's what we teach. At the moment of conception, a body is created and soul is given by God. They're joined together in a union that will last for all of eternity. Don't get bored with your body because it's going to be around for a while. Now, the only time that there's a separation of the two is when? It's at death, isn't it? At death, the body goes to the ground, soul goes to be with God. But that's not the end. When Jesus returns, what does he do? He resurrects the body and he joins the soul and they go to be with God forever. Isn't that what, he does? Isn't that what the scriptures teach and affirm? 
uh, yeah, that's what it does. And, um, you know, there's a, there's a misconception today about the soul. Um, the soul is real. I mean, the soul, is, you know, it's real. Uh, it's not a concept to describe brain function. That's where we are today. It's a concept. It's a way of trying to understand brain function. Well, if you separate a soul and it goes to be with God and the brain is down here in the ground, where's the connection? That, that doesn't, it doesn't work that way. See, our faith affirms the beauty of it and the fact that one day when the body is resurrected, we will be joined together again. Here's what the church teaches out of the catechism. Human life must be respected and protected absolutely from the moment of conception. From the first moment of existence, a human being must be recognized as having the rights of a person. Well, that's three good reasons that we affirm life. The fourth one is this, and it's out of love. It has to do with the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are the social fabric of our society. They really are. That's why God gave them to us. That's why we hear Paul say today, love your neighbor. That's really important. Well, if you look in the commandments, there's one in particular. It's the fifth commandment. What does God say? He says, you shall not kill. Didn't he say that? Yeah, he said it. He said it in Exodus, didn't he? You shall not kill. Um, now, what does that mean? Well, it's a very important concept. See, God alone gives life. And God alone is the only one that can take life. Nobody else. It's his. It's his right to give, and it's his right to take. And we have to be, uh, we have to be very mindful of that as we think of who God is. See, that's why Catholics are so big on life. We're high on life because we're high on God. And that's why that when it comes to things like war, when it comes to things like euthanasia, uh, you know, when it comes to things like the death penalty, you know, Catholics are against the death penalty. Why? Because you can't take life. It's not yours to take. Uh, and we see that also in the life in the womb. We see the importance and we see the priority that God alone is the giver and the taker of life. The fifth thing that we see out of the scriptures about life is this, and this is an important one. It's an example. Jesus gave preferential treatment to children. Uh, one thing that we're big on as Catholics is called preferential treatment. Have you heard of that? Well, what does that mean? It means that we follow the example of Jesus. That's exactly what it means. It means that we give preferential treatment to those who are most vulnerable in society. Now, who are some of the most vulnerable in society? The elderly, they're sort of vulnerable, aren't they? The sick, the disabled, and yes, the children. Children are vulnerable too, aren't they? I really like the story. This happened twice. Jesus, it took him, took him two times to get the disciples to get this one right. Uh, but here was what was going on. Jesus was in a, in a town, and parents were bringing children. It says little children, so I'm sure there were some little infants there. He was bringing little children, to they, uh, the parents were, and asking Jesus to bless them. 
Well, you blessed my child. Well, that's a good thing, isn't it? Well, I think it's a very good thing. And, uh, but here's what happened. The disciples saw that and they rebuked the families. What'd they say? Leave Jesus alone. He doesn't have time for children. He's got bigger fish to fry in life. Leave Jesus alone. And uh, what did Jesus do? Well, you know, there's a, have you ever heard this? Children are to be seen and not heard. Have you heard that one? Boy, my dad used to tell me that all the time. Well, I'd talk and talk and talk. He said, son, children be seen, not heard. Okay, well, that sort of give you that sense of, um, you know, the priority of who, of, in terms of preferential treatment. Uh, what does Jesus say? He looks at his disciples and he says this. He says, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And then what does he do? He says, come here. And he takes them in his arms and he blesses them. That's exactly what he does. Preferential treatment to children. Answer me this question. Can you think of anyone more vulnerable than a child in the womb? Can you? I can't. I mean, I, I really can't. Uh, here's another question that sort of goes with it. Will you desire, you, that God give you preferential treatment if the need ever arises in your own life? You know, particularly when you get old or you get sick, you need a little bit of treatment. I know the older I get, I sort of like that, you know, a little bit of preferential treatment here and there. People, people looking out for you because you can't look out so much for yourself anymore. Uh, that's a good thing, isn't it? And that's what we want. Well, these are some faith-based reasons why that we should uphold the sanctity of human life in the womb. I want us to turn and look at a few practical suggestions about how we live this out. And I've got in my homily, once the Supreme Court makes a ruling, well, ruling is done. So uh, how do we do that? Let me give you some uh, responses. First of all, refrain from being overzealous. Overzealous. What Paul say in the scriptures, and we heard it echo today very clearly in, in his teaching today, he says this, regardless of the decision, be peaceable about it. Be peaceable. Live at peace with all people. Now, that, that really reminds me of the gospel today, of uh, the reading that we find in the gospel. Here's what was going on. Jesus had decided he was going to Jerusalem. This was his last trip. And uh, so he's headed off to Jerusalem, and as he goes, he's stopping in all the little towns and villages and sharing the good news of Jesus. That's what he's doing, you know. And he gets to this Samaritan village, and, and he says, I want to come in. They say, well, where are you going? He says, I'm going to Jerusalem. And they say, nope, you're not coming in our town. We don't like those people. We don't want you in our town. You're going to people we don't like. And it was a vice versa. It was a, it was, you know, it was a vice versa kind of situation. So James and John, two of the disciples of Jesus, they get offended by it. And what do they say? They come up to the Lord and they say, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and consume them? Do you want us to ask the ground to open up and they fall in it and it closed. Do you want to do that, Lord? Do you want to do that? 
uh, what does Jesus do? Well, he turns and rebukes them, doesn't he? He says, guys, get with it. Get with the program. Don't be so overzealous. He said, let's go to the next town. So I think Paul's words, as he said on numerous occasions, are very appropriate here. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. The second thing that we see is to pray for our leaders in government. Well, whatever decision is made following this ruling, there's going to be more action to come. This isn't the end of it. This isn't like the end or the close of it. Uh, but here is something the scriptures teach us to pray. Pray for our leaders in government. Now, why is that? Particularly if we don't like their, their thinking. Why is that? Well, Paul, once again, if you go into the scriptures, you find clearly the teaching on this. He says, pray for those in authority. Why? Because God himself established these structures in order for what purpose? To give you order in life. See, they're from God. I mean, this is right out of the scriptures. They're from God. And when there's order in life, he says there is peace. And when there is peace in life, there is the ability to focus on worshiping God and your life in Christ. That's pretty good. So prayer is an important one. The third thing is to beef up support of women and unborn children in difficult circumstances. And one of the things I'm going to do this week is I'm going to ask the Finance Council to allocate more money, additional dollars to in our budget to provide greater assistance in light of this decision to organizations such as Catholic Charities. See, Catholic Charities is a great organization because its mission, part of it, is to provide material assistance and other resources to women and unborn children in difficult circumstances. I was also excited to see a letter from Archbishop Fobb this week. Uh, it's a program that they were going to launch two years ago, but they waited because of COVID, but they're launching it now. It's called Walking with Moms in Need. What a wonderful, wonderful thing it is. It's going to be a great program, and they're asking all the parishes to get involved. So I'm looking forward to learning what that means. The fourth thing that we need to do is encourage chastity. I know chastity is sort of an old-fashioned word today, but it, it never is old-fashioned. <laughs> I mean, why? Because God's not old-fashioned. I mean, his truth is forever. See, here's the reality of our situation. Some parts of love are to be experienced only in the context of marriage. That's clear. I mean, that's totally obvious. Uh, you know, the, the association of this type of love with recreation today is totally nonsensical. Makes no sense at all. Why? Because love in that way requires a deep commitment. I mean, it requires a deep abiding commitment that we receive in the covenant of marriage. Isn't that the way God said it? Didn't he create it that well? You know, come think of it, he did, didn't he? That's exactly right. And if we practice ch chastity in our lives up until that time that we enter into the covenant of marriage, well, guess what? Children are more likely to be welcomed and received, aren't they? Because they're coming in to that environment that's so important. So I think 
uh, it's really important that we as a parish, we continue to beef up and educate and form people in their faith to realize how virtuous, how good, how pleasing these things are to God. Fifth thing, be an instrument of mercy and forgiveness. Now, let me ask you a question. What do you think Jesus would say to somebody that's undergone an abortion? You think he'd throw stones at her? No. Well, absolutely not. He wouldn't throw stones. What would he do? He would reach out in love and he would offer mercy and forgiveness. See, that's what we're called to do. Uh, that's a traumatic experience, to be sure. And uh, see, that's our calling. Now, we like to be the judge, but you know what? Jesus makes it clear. You're not capable of being a good judge. Uh, nothing personal on that. He's talking to me as well. Why? Because we're too biased. The only person that could ever judge us is qualified is Jesus, and he will. One day, he'll do that. But uh, Jesus is one who offers, he extends mercy and forgiveness. What our role today is not to be judge. Our role today is to be what St. Francis of Assisi said, that is, Lord, make me an instrument of your, what? Peace. There's that word peace again, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah, there it is again. Make me an instrument of your peace. Two more quick things. The sixth thing, keep the love we share for each other in this parish strong. Keep it strong. Uh, you know, many storms have come against this parish and many other parishes that have tried to erode the tremendous foundation of love that we have for each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Who are you? What do we say over and over in the prayer? You are brothers and sisters in Christ. You're family, aren't you? And our family is important and we love. That's so important. And all of these attempts over the years to erode and destroy the beauty of what this parish possesses, guess what? They've not worked. It's not worked. Why? Because we're firmly rooted in Christ. We're firmly rooted in Jesus, and we're firmly rooted in the Eucharist. So, as Paul said today, stand firm, my brothers and sisters. Stand firm. Remain strong and intentional in your love for each other. Finally, this, be prudent. Be prudent. Now, this may be one you haven't thought about, but you're a Catholic. And as a Catholic, you're associated with one of the last large institutions that upholds the sanctity of life in the womb. Did you know that? You are. Guess what? Well, some organizations have already stated that the church is going to be persecuted for that. They're going to be persecuted once a decision is made. And we, we've already started to see that as well. I want you to know this. Nothing to concern us at this point, but we're going to be prudent. We're in touch with the diocese, and uh, we're in touch with law enforcement agencies and all of those kinds of things to make sure that we're safe, that we, we can still have the privilege to worship without persecution. So... Uh, we're in touch with all that, and if there's something comes up that we need to address, we will. God bless all of you. I love you.